Ladies and gentlemen, fellas, 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 welcome back to the channel and the podcast. Today, we're talking about the RBC Heritage, Harbortown, the next stop on uh, the return from the coronavirus and the COVID, the tour, BJ Tour, second event since. We just had a fantastic finish, a crowded leaderboard on Sunday. Daniel Berger kind of coming out of nowhere to win the thing in a playoff against Colin Morikawa. My two, I had four outright bets last week, right, everybody? Before we get into this, two of those outright bets, Xander and Colin Morikawa, also Gary Woodland, who was very much in contention, the other bomb of which was Corey Connors at one. 50 to one, who was somewhat in contention coming into Sunday, I believe at nine under, but you had a situation where Xander, Morikawa and Berger, it was pretty evident that one of those three golfers was going to win this tournament. Morikawa had his opportunity on 17, squanders it. Obviously Xander was in the lead and also on 17 had the opportunity to just at least uh, go par, save par and go to 18 and end up potentially winning it there. Whatever it was going to be a three-way playoff. I had a great chance of just winning this event based on the opportunities that Morikawa and Xander had. Neither of them end up finishing, ending with Morikawa missing about his four foot putt in the playoff. So now we're here at the RBC Heritage where you're going to have Morikawa back, Xander back, Berger back, all those guys who were competing right up into the end, as well as a lot of other guys who went very low. Justin Thomas went very low. Patrick Reed going very low. Jordan Spieth, right? Uh, Gary Woodland, all these guys right now went low at this past event, and they're going to be right back in this event this week. So we're going to be talking about the course, the conditions, everything that's going to go on, recent form on these guys. But something that I really want to point out, the odds that came out are just insane. You have guys who struggled last week to even make the cut, guys who missed the cut, um, guys that John Rahm, Ricky Fowler, Brooks, Dustin, some very premier golfers, top 20 golfers in the world, whose price points on DraftKings are very low relative to what we're used to, and their Vegas odds are even better. So if you don't want to play them in DraftKings, look at their Vegas odds. You have guys like Ricky opening at 50 to 1. You have guys like Brooks Kepka, Dustin Johnson, who was leading after three rounds here last year before shooting a Sunday Sunday 77. Uh, they're at 40 to 1 for this event. So some really good odds you can find out there. Even John Rahm, after just missing the cut last week, is at 18 to 1, a guy who we're normally used to seeing around that 10 to 12 or even single digit type numbers, a loaded field in this one kind of tells you that it should be that number, but even 18 to one for a guy who's normally around the 10 to 12 to one range in these types of fields is very good to see in my opinion. So check out those bets. I'm thinking about potentially placing a bet on John Rahm. I currently have one in on Webb at 28 to one, Brooks at 40 to one and Hatton at 60 to one. Hatton's number before the break, he was just playing absolutely lights out. We know that he's been playing very well before the break. So I want to get into this event right now, please, before we get into it, if you could take a second of your time, lots of people, about 400 to 500% more than normal saw the last video last week because golf is the big thing. The Millie Maker is back, even though it's like 40% to first is crazy. But please do hit that like button right now. And a big old subscribe button just popped up on the screen. It is totally free in the bottom right hand corner to just tap that subscribe button. It lets this video reach a lot more people when you do that within the video itself. So please take a second of your time. If you value my content, if you value the work that I'm putting into this, to just hit that subscribe button for me. So we're here at Harbortown and the course is going to be 7,099 yards on the last measurement, a par 71, and it is a Pete Dye course. Okay. So what does a Pete Dye course means? It means deception. Get ready for deception. Usually it means a shorter course, which you're seeing featured here, but think about dog legs. Thinks about, and what a dog leg is, if you're not familiar with golf, I know a lot of people are new here. It's pretty much uh, the hole where you're actually trying to go to on a par four, normally even par fives. You just can't see it. It's shaped like a dog leg. You can't see it. Sometimes you can try and cut the tree lines and a lot of uh, bombers will try and do that. People who are long off the tee with their driving distance, good drivers, but you're going to see a lot of dog legs, a lot of sand traps. There's going to be water. There's just going to be a ton of hazards is the best way to put it on Pete Dye courses. And that is true here for Harbortown. Although it's going to be a shorter course, you almost have to play to the hazards, which means that bombers normally here, and it's never this loaded of a field because this is typically maybe right after the Masters 
or just in a week where a lot of golfers usually take off in preparation for uh, either finishing a major or heading into their next major is where Harbortown usually falls in the PGA calendar. But because of the layoff, all the golfers are pretty much showing for these events. I mean, Tiger Woods isn't even though there's speculation that he might, we don't still see Patrick Cantley, some of the top tens that we haven't seen yet on tour through the first two weeks. But uh, normally bombers don't do well here, but there's also not been the elite bombers always in these fields, right? So it could be a situation like DJ has done fine here and he's an elite bomber. So maybe now if you get a lot more of these elite bombers in the field, it starts to not become an issue. But if you want to kind of theorize the way that you play Pete Dye courses or just in general, when you play them and what you're looking for is guys who are very good with their irons and can throw darts, can throw it onto smaller greens is another thing that Pete Dye courses are going to feature. So guys that don't necessarily have to be great off the tee, but anytime you are long off the tee, if you're accurate, it's going to help you. Just look at Bryson last week, long off the tee, Xander long off the tee last week, and they end up finishing right there in the lead. They're in contention down the stretch, right? Both of those guys on a course that historically doesn't help the guys who were long off the tee. So there's a good chance that that happens this week, although there's so many hazards on this Pete Dye course that you are almost benefiting from just laying up a little bit and relying on your second shot instead of trying to gun it and potentially land yourself in the water, land yourself in some sort of hazard, a bunker, those types of things. It's going to be Bermuda Greens. It's a slightly difficult course, and then you're going to have a situation where the two easiest holes, so if you're playing showdown potentially, you're looking for waves is going to be on the front nine. So the three easiest holes are actually in the front nine, but the two easiest are the par par fives in the front nine, which is the second hole and the fifth hole, 155 golfers in this field. Last year, as recent as last year, it used to be 132. They increased it. Uh, You're usually seeing guys skip this event, like I said. So Rory's first time here since 2009, since he was like 19 years old. Sergio's first time here since 2010. Ricky Fowler's first time here since 2012. So the course history on a lot of these guys throw it out the window this week. Course history in this loaded of a field, very similar to last week, isn't going to matter. So if you're looking for the Lucas Glover tournament where he's $7,000 this week, and he seems to always finish second here. He has five runner-up finishes, Lucas Glover here. He's not the guy that I would be saying, I want to play Lucas Glover because of this course. No, this is a loaded field. Course history for me this week, and I'll be on the Awesome Show later today. I record this on a Monday. It's not going to mean that much to me. Do you want to say guys like Ricky and Sergio and Rory and a bunch of other guys who haven't performed here? John Rahm in the past. Kyle Morikawa, of course, just hasn't had the opportunity to play here. Justin Rosadecki. Guys who haven't played here in the last four to five years. I'm not weighting the guys who have had success here over the last four to five years that heavily when some of the best, and if not all of the best golfers in the world just haven't showed up to this place. Course history is heavily, heavily skewed when you're taking out a huge sample of very successful golfers, and now you're throwing them in there, it, it kind of just blows up everything that's already happened, in my opinion. So I want to get into the round by round. And if you're used to these videos, we're going to go by salary range, and I'm going to talk about some guys. So I'll blow this up so we can see the 10,000 plus range, discuss kind of a first look at the salaries, where I'm thinking early on. And I will call out that I do have a Patreon. And what I do there is I do a Wednesday closing thoughts podcast. We talk about ownership, exactly where I'm going with exposures. Last week was a very successful week where my only A ranked golfer was Colin Morikawa. I had Gary Woodland. I had Bryson DeChambeau as very high owned guys that you should be playing as well as Xander Shoffley were four of my top six plays of the week ended up being a very good week for everybody over on Patreon as well as myself so you can check that out but I have rankings I have tiers I have these data sheets I have my notes that I'm kind of referencing right now for a lot of the course history stuff the key stats and then also the closing thoughts podcast I also did a bonus podcast on Sunday for the Sunday showdown slate since there was 100k to first podcast I'm always trying to create a lot of value that's what you get if you want to support me over on Patreon that is linked down below I highly highly recommend it and I am not biased at all but go ahead check it out lots of people having success for it. If you are a Patreon and you like it, you can leave a comment down below and kind of see if other people want to join in. So what I'm looking for when I'm looking through these golfers, obviously price range, just some ownership is going to be a big piece once Wednesday's closing thoughts show comes on Patreon. But the key stats approach here is like so, so important. So what you're looking at is your approach play, your ball striking and your short game. Those correlate here a lot more than other spots. Now driving distance in general and driving accuracy is going to correlate a little bit more here. So you need that. Sometimes narrow fairways, a lot of trees around the fairways. Usually that means you have to be a little bit more accurate, keep it in the fairway but a situation in which driving
driving distance normally does not matter here all that much. Like it matters like 16 yards less than on the average tour driving distance is what you find from success in the top 20 finishers. But again, is that because these fields have just been worse and the best drivers in the world haven't been playing at this event? There's a good chance that there's an argument for that, but I'm going to kind of lean in the middle of, I still don't think driving distance matters all that much here, but I think it matters a little bit more than what we're used to seeing over the last five to 10 years. Since now you have some of the top drivers in the world in Rory, you have a revamped driver in Bryson DeChambeau in this field, Rom and all these guys actually showing up to play this week. So I'm going to be weighting ball striking and approach very heavily here. I'll actually put a little bit more of a weighting in my model and my projections, which again are on Patreon in the short game stuff as well. I'll be looking at driving accuracy a little bit more than usual, nothing major. Driving distance, I'll take it down than normally the, the, the overall tour average. I'll drop it down a little bit, but not as much as I normally have in the past for this event, uh, mainly last year as well. Course history here, CT, Matt, CT Pan won it last year, but looking at this right now, if Rory up top, JT and Bryson, I, if anything, last week, I didn't want to pay all the way up. If anything, this week, I would pay up. But again, I, I don't really like too much of this 10K plus range. I like the names, of course, uh, but it's a loaded field. We had a loaded field last week. And when you have guys in the nine and eight and even 7K range that stand out and scream out win upside, Berger won in the 7K range last week. You had a guy in the low 9K range in Morikawa in that playoff as well. Xander in the 9K range as well there. So I don't think that you have to go for these 10K guys to ensure victory. But Rory's price point drops to 11.3. That's fine. Uh, Justin Thomas, we saw him competing. He's always competing on Sundays, it seems. He's also a closer. So that's going to help if he's ever in contention on Sundays. Bryson, price point doesn't change all that much. I don't think it changes at all, really. And now you're in a situation where Bryson's coming off of a week where he looked fantastic. The game off the tee might not historically set up well at this course, but it might just be that Bryson is that good off the tee that it doesn't matter. He can pick and choose his spots. So Bryson's a guy that I really do want to stand out because he's also a good ball striker. He's 10th ranked on the tour in ball striking, fourth off the tee. So it's not like he has to just rely on the driver and off the tee game. He's fine with his irons as well. So I like getting to Bryson and Rory. They're okay for me. But the guy who really stands out early on is John Rom, somewhere someone who we haven't seen play here in a little while. So it's a situation in which John Rom's price point is just so cheap. He's 10,500. I referenced at the beginning of the show his Vegas odds of 18 to one. I do like those. So 10,500 for a guy you're normally playing, paying closer to $11,000 for, fourth most expensive in the field, misses the cut last week. So lower ownership when he's sandwiched in between guys like Xander and Morikawa, who showed up last week. Guys like Bryson, who's just getting so much publicity because of just putting on the bulk and actually now being very, very good, even though he has been good, but everybody getting to see that, his experiment with his weight gain and all this stuff, and his and off the tee game is now clicking at extreme levels. John Rahm sandwiched in between there, coming off of a missed cut and no real course history here. I think he's going to be lower owned. John Rahm's the guy in that 10K range, if we're talking strategy, that I like the most. Xander and Morikawa are no's for me right now. After being my two favorite golfers last week and actually producing very good finishes, I'm going to get away from them. Morikawa's price point just spikes up too high too. I think he's the best, if not a top three or four ball striker in the world with his irons. He's fantastic. He deserves to be around this price range, but it's a very loaded range. And you have Xander once again up here. So these guys are fine. I have them as nose right now. I'll probably have some exposure to them, especially if they're lower owned, but the price hikes for both of them give me a little bit of hesitation when you look at the guys in the nine and eight K range. So I think Bryson and Rom are probably my favorites all the way up to Rory. I think is fine depending on the lineup you're trying to build. Let's get into the nine K range now where there's only four golfers this week. So we go down to the 9K range. Not a lot here. It'll be quick, but I like all of them. I like all these guys. Sanjay at 9,700. Sanjay just proves a, a cool like minus 10, minus 11. He shoots. He finishes with like another T15. And he just, he was consistent the whole weekend. It was like one or two holes that he blunders on, but he was right there the entire weekend. Very consistent game. He is expensive though. $9,700 is not cheap, but if anything, he is consistent. So I do like Sanjay this week, but the guy I like the most is Webb. Webb's going to be highly owned. He misses the cut last week. He burned so many people. I 100% faded Webb last week. I recommended that just because he was going to be highly 
Leon was playing fantastic, but it's just a thing of I want to fade heavy chalk. And if Webb is heavy chalk again this week, I'm going to fade him again. He has had good course history here. His game has been fantastic. He's second only to Denny McCarthy in his short game right now. His approach is completely fine. His approach, if anything, is very good. And that's what I want to wait here. Ball striking is very average, but has been a lot better as of late. And he had just one of his worst historic rounds putting ever. And that was one of his worst events. It was like one of his two worst events ever. I believe I heard. So Webb Simpson at $9,000. I have a bet on him at 28 to one already placed that bet Monday morning at $9,000 in DraftKings. I like it. It's just a matter of how owned will he be? There's a really good chance. Once again, he's going to be the highest owned golfer and I don't want to be doing that. The benefit is that he's now a lot cheaper though. You're paying that bottom $9,000 range where if you're starting your lineup or he's your second guy into your lineup, that looks very good instead of him being your number one guy you relied on last week and expecting back-to-back miscuts out of the web is something you don't normally get, especially since he's become top 10 in the world web, hot fire with the short game web. So web right now in the 9k range stands out the most. And then all the way up top to Sunjay, we saw Justin Rose do very well. The first round leader tied with a guy in Harold Varner last week. So he did good last week. Hideki's coming off of being very, very hot before the break ended. You question the win upside a little bit. It seems like forever since he's won, but this 9k range in general is very attractive. There's not a lot of golfers there. So it's kind of hard to get two guys in that range because there's only four, but Webb does stand out a lot for me so far when I'm looking at this. John Rahm in the 10k plus range and Webb so far, the guys who stand out the most in each range. Let's get to the 8k range now. So the 8k range starts off with Daniel Berger. After winning last week, he spikes up about $1,200 in price. He's an easy fade for me. He's been playing fantastic. Don't get me wrong. I mean, the guy's finishes have right now been a win last week and then a couple of top 10 finishes before he ended up going or everybody ended up going on the break for the couple of months because of the pandemic. But this was a guy piling up top 10s. This is a guy who's been pretty hot fire as of late coming off of the big victory. I mean, if you want to just look at specifically where he's been succeeding in his past events, if you want to look at just that back to last week when he ends up winning the whole event, he gains 12.7 overall strokes, 7.6 off the tee or tee to green, and he ends up gaining 5.4 on approach and he ends up gaining 5.2 with the putter. So he has a hot week everywhere. The putter is going to matter here. And so is approach. He's gained on approach in four out of his last five, and he's gained in major ways in his last three events, 5.4, 6.2, and 2.8. He's gained with the putter in his last four. If you're just looking at his last 20 contests overall, he's gaining across the board. Daniel Berger is one of the best golfers on tour right now. And that's even with three months off. But that being said, he's coming off of a win. He gets the price range up in a loaded field again. I'm not betting him in the outright markets now that his odds are up to, they're still 40 to one. So it's still pretty decent odds, but I'm not betting for the back-to-back here. He's going to probably be a clear fade for me. Patrick Reed, somebody who came on a little bit hot last week. I do like Patrick Reed in this range. He's somebody that early on, I already have checked off to put in my player pool. We'll track the ownership on that, but this 8K range is loaded. Like the 10K range is great. Yes, but there's a couple guys maybe overpriced. The 9K range, you don't have a lot of options, right? There's only four guys in that range in general, but now the 8K range is where so many good options are. You can honestly have four guys in this 8K range in your lineup, or at least three, and have a very good lineup and probably a unique lineup because you're fading everybody above the 9K range. So starting at web at just 9K flat, you can start to build some very good lineups if you attack web and maybe three guys in this 8K range, get a guy who might be a little bit lower owned. But let's start it off with Patrick Reed, who throughout his last 20 events has gained every single place. He's coming off of gaining seven strokes last week with the putter alone. You think that's crazy? I mean, when he won the WGC event back in February, he gained 11 strokes with the putter. So the putter's been hot. It was hot coming out of the break. Uh, Patrick Reed's somebody that does stand out to me at that price point. Now you get to the veterans who have been struggling as of late. And man, oh man, their betting market odds have tanked. Right now, I bet Brooks over Dustin at 40 to one. They're both 40 to one. That's way too low odds in my opinion. So I might bet both, but I bet Brooks at 40 to one. I do like Brooks. I like both these guys at their price points. Dustin, again, the three round leader last year, he's had success here, T28 and a T16. And then he just fell apart with a 77 on Sunday. Brooks is another guy who usually skips this event and he has, he has really no course history here at all. And this is a guy whose game's all over the place. Coming off of a 32nd at the Charles Schwab, he gained 4.7 with the putter and the putter was the big issue before the break. It was something that he was struggling with, but he found that piece. Where did he struggle? He struggled on approach, which was the biggest thing of last week. And that's why he ended up not doing well. He lost 4.9 strokes on approach. 
approach. But just in general, if you're looking at him historically, his last 20 rounds, he gains 1.6 strokes on approach. So he's a guy who's struggling with his game, partially due to injury. He comes out out of the break and doesn't do fantastic, finishes 32nd. That's not going to get it done. But now when he's 8,600, you don't need Brooks Kepka winning it at 10K plus. You don't even need Brooks Kepka getting you a top five finish. If Brooks finishes with a T12, a T10 at this price point at 8,600, you love that. And who's to say that that's not very realistic for him right now? So Brooks is a guy I have a bet on. Brooks is a guy I really like in the 8K range. My man Gary Woodland at 8,400 had a bet on him last week at 50 to 1, had a lot of him in DraftKings, and DraftKings ended up paying off for me. But he's another guy who's just being disrespected. I assume he'll be very highly owned, but this range is loaded, so maybe people will sleep on him. But this is a guy who's coming off of three straight top 12 finishes, back to back top 10 finishes. I mean, Gary Woodland has, I think, nine top 12s in his last 11 events. This guy's just been so consistent. $8,400. He is right now my favorite $8,000 range player. He gained 8.8 strokes on approach in the event that just came back from the Charles Schwab, where he finished ninth, finished eighth right before the break, gaining 7.6 strokes on approach. We love the approach play. The only main issue is around the green, and that doesn't seem to be too much of a factor at this specific course. Gary Woodland, my favorite 8K option. I also like Terrell Hatton. I placed a 60 to 1 bet on him. He's been very, very good before the break started. Obviously, it's yet to be seen what the break looks like. I was wishing we could have seen him last week, but he's back in the field as the world's 21st ranked player in the world. We just saw him win before the break, right? He finished first overall, but we saw him doing great things before that. A 6th at the WGC in February, a 14th at the WGC in November, the last couple of times we have measured rounds on him. He won the Arnold Palmer, a very good event, showing it up with 10.3 strokes gained off the tee, tee to green, 7.3 strokes on approach. Very good approach player, or at least above average, a pretty good ball striker, top 20 in the world right around there. He's hovering. I like Hatton at that price point at 8,000. So uh, in the 10K plus range, John Rahm. In the 9K range, just one guy who stands out, Webb. And then in that 8K range, lots of guys, but namingly Gary Woodland. And then after that, Reed, Brooks, Hatton, all those names stand out to me. I know I'm not deep diving into like your Ricky Fowlers, who I think has great betting numbers. I'm going to have ownership to him. 50 to one betting odds are crazy good odds. Tony Finau, who's been consistent as ever, seemed like he wasn't even shown last week in the golf channel and he still finishes like eight under or somewhere, nine under somewhere around there. So I like Finau. I like Ricky. Matt Kuchar is fine. He has great course history. If you want to play that card here, although it has not been as loaded as the field of this one, the 8K range is a great spot to have three to four guys. I like that type of build a lot. So the 7K range, the 6K range, there's so many guys in these ranges, right? So I'm just going to kind of scroll through a couple of guys that I like, explain why. We'll go deeper dive on Wednesday with the closing thoughts, hit on ownership. Uh, But in this 7K range, lots of guys up top that stand out. Matthew Fitzpatrick's a nice price point. You go down. Scotty Scheffler, I like a lot, was expensive last week at the 8,500 plus tag. He had an up and down week. One week he looked like, or one day he looked like the best golfer this past weekend. Then the next day, he's just shooting up with like plus sixes and looking absolutely terrible. He's a guy who was 13% on last week. He finished overall 55th in the Charles Schwab after looking great on some days, ended up losing 3.3 strokes around the green, three strokes with the putter. Um, so I, I like him at this price point. I think it'll be lower owned since he let a lot of people down after making the cut. Billy Horschel has been fine. Jason Day's all the way down here. He's burnt a lot of people, but he's 70 to one in the outrights. I think that's an okay. No, it's a great number. I, I think it's interesting to want to bet it. I'll have to see. But then Jason Day, $7,600 on DraftKings. Hard name not to at least look at and like. The game has been struggling with somebody that I'll probably have pieces of. JT Poston's a guy I'm going to have. I mean, JT Poston this week, we'll see what he ends up being in ownership. He's right around Benny on who everybody loves. And I like Benny on this week, 90 to one in the outrights, uh, but he's the exact same price point. So maybe that pushes down Poston's ownership who never is really highly owned. Like a highly owned JT Poston's like 7% owned in my opinion, but he's been playing pretty well. Like he missed the cut at the Arnold Palmer before break, very hard event to be at, but then he ends up finishing pretty much like top 35 in every other event this year and 11th at the Tour of Champions back in January. And he finishes top 10 with a 10th place finish at the Charles Schwab, pretty much playing very well everywhere. He loses a stroke on approach, but nothing major. Poston, who's coming on late, finished overall sixth here last year. I like Poston at 7,500. He stands out as well. And then we'll scroll all the way down to the bottom. I think a guy who ended up missing the cut last week, but he looked pretty good after day one. Max Homa gets dropped from, I think, 7,500 or somewhere around there to $7,000 flat. He ends up missing the cut at the 
Charles Schwab Classic, his first missed cut of the year after the break, but he just misses the cut barely. Like he loses 0.4 strokes with the putter, 0.3 around the green, and 0.4 in approach. So this wasn't a guy who looked absolutely terrible, like Lonzo Griffin, another guy like last week. But you have a guy in Max Homa who looked good. I think he looked okay. He just played average golf, and average golf wasn't good enough last week, where a lot of guys surprisingly were going very, very low on Thursday and Friday before the weekend kind of chewed up a couple of guys. So Max Homa at $7,000 flat. This is what I don't want to do. I want to take things that we saw last week and move forward with them, right? Take things that we saw and say, okay, these guys shouldn't be this low of odds and this low of a price point just because of one week. Max Homa is one of those guys. This was a guy who was looking at three top 10 finishes before the break. A guy whose game still looked fine. Nothing screamed out, oh my God, run away from Max Homa. He just lost six strokes with the putter. He looked broken. No, he had a very average and consistent round and just a consistent round wasn't enough to actually get you through the cut where a lot of guys were going low last week. So Max Homa for me, somebody who doesn't have a lot of history here, but I'm going to be taking Max Homa at the $7,000 price tag. As we move into the 6K range, it is a pretty decent 6K range since it's another loaded field, but please do like button, big old subscribe button popped up on the screen. Check those things out for me. If you will, you can reach me on Twitter at DFS. If you have any other questions, follow me over there for updates on NFL, for golf, doing a ton of golf content right now, a ton of NFL, my two top priorities when it comes to fantasy sports, sports betting, DFS, all those types of things. So I appreciate you being here. Hit that like button and the subscribe button and check out Patreon. If you want to get my projections, rankings, point projections for DFS, rankings, all that stuff will be linked down below. The closing thought show talking about ownership on Wednesday as well. My notes, all that stuff, support me over there. Check it out down below. So starting it off, in the 6k range is Russell Knox. He was my guy last year, but this guy's just been brutal. He's missed, I think, six straight cuts or five straight cuts to start this year. Uh, he's been bad. I, I can't go to Russell Knox anymore. I have to actually see something. You have guys like Matthew Wolf at 6,900. His game's been trending in the in a negative direction. You have guys like Charles Howell who have high cut equity. And once you're in this 6k range, you're just looking for guys to make the cut and do a little bit extra after that. Charles Howell has not been owned that much this year after last year being like the poster boy of ownership, but he made the cut, finished 49th of the Charles Swab after a missed cut at the API. Look, okay. The putter got him there at the end of the day, 2.2 strokes game. Grio is down here as well. Putnam and Matt Wallace, all these names that you usually have like two or 3% of. We're now in the 6K range. So normally you're not going to have a lot of ownership to these guys. You sprinkle in some five, 6% guys. Maybe you go very heavy on one guy, 15, 20%, depending on how many lineups you're playing. And you just decide this is the guy I'm going heavy on. I like to be aggressive. So last week I had like 15 to 20% of Lonto Griffin and it didn't work out, but it was still a very good week because I didn't have 50 or 60% of him. I don't want to have my lineups do or die on these types of guys because a lot of the times they're going to die. So I'd rather have my lineups do or die on guys like Xander and Morikawa and Woodland, some of my highest owned guys last week. So going down a little bit more, Vaughn Taylor stands out. You can see that none of these guys in the 6K range for me, at least up top, are yeses, which means I'm not going to get a lot of heavy ownership on them relative to their price point or their probably projected ownership. So Vaughn Taylor stands out. You have EVRs down here as well. And then you have Lonto at 6,500. And Lonto, man, oh man, Lonto was bad last week. Lonto is somebody that I always roster. And I'm not going to just run away from him because of one week last week, but everything seemed to go wrong with Lonto last week. Just 4% on him. He was a guy that I had so much leverage on and he missed a cut and he was terrible, right? He lost 10.4 strokes total. The last time he did that was in February at the waste management. He just blows up sometimes. He missed a cut. What did he do the next week? Finished ninth at the AT&T. Finished 37th at the Genesis. A top 30 at the WGC. This is a guy at 6,500 now, $400 cheaper than last week. You just need him to make the cut. If he makes the cut, it doesn't really matter what he does after that. He makes the cut, he's going to be fine for you. He's a good bird of your better guy. So if he makes the cut, he should be fine. Only 11 DK points though in two days was very uncharacteristic of Lonzo. Lost 5.9 strokes on approach, 8.7 strokes T to green. This is concerning. Like, this is so bad that I am hesitating to even want to play him. Have him as a yes right now. Uh, we're going back to the Lonto well after he burned everybody last week. I could already see the comments. How dare you tell me to play Lonto? All right, I wasn't out there playing for the guy. He struggled back in February the exact same way. Exact same way. Was worse T to green. Was worse off the T, right? Was worse in these categories. And then he finished it up with a top 10. And then he finished it up with a bunch of top 20s and top 30s after that. So Lonto at 6,500. I just prefer more than Keith Mitch 
Churchill, even though it is Bermuda, more than Pat Perez. I think Victor Perez is an okay option. I have interest in him, but that's where I'm at. Again, these guys below 6,900 don't have a lot of exposure. Lonto, like it, like if Lonto is my highest owned guy because of the price point and because of the upside I think he has at that price point, it might be like 10 to 12% owned. So don't go crazy with these guys in your lineups. Um, if you are, and if you are somebody that's coming to me saying, I played 80% Lonto last week because you told me to in my 50 lineups. No, no, no. I told you he's a good play below $7,000. Now it's going to have like eight to 10% of the guy ended up having like 12. You playing 80% is just borderline irresponsible and that's all on you. So let's go to the below $6,500 range. Right now, below $6,500, there are names like Aaron Wise is down here, Doc Redman, Cameron Tringale. So if you want to just throw your daughter at a guy that makes the cut every like 10 events, but it might actually push for a top 10. That's Tringale. Carlos Ortiz is down here. I have him as a yes because Carlos Ortiz just puts up points. Um, Carlos Ortiz is way too cheap at $6,300. This is a guy who last week was like 6,900 or somewhere right around there with Lonzo. This is a guy who's a top 28 DraftKings scorer and 28th overall. So Carlos Ortiz, he did miss the cut last week. He has looked pretty bad as of late, but he's a guy at 6,300 that you just need him to make the cut. And he's a good performer when he does make the cut. Again, a top 30 DraftKings scorer. So it's going to rely on him making the cut, but at 6,300, he might even be a better play than Lonzo this week. At $6,200, you have the best putter in the world who barely made the cut last week at Denny McCarthy. I think he's at least in play. So there's some decent options down here. Ortiz stands out the most. You have guys like Tringale, Nick Watney, Doc Redman. None of them you want to have a lot of exposure to, but I do like Ortiz. So let's go back to the main page here. That's a little bit of a breakdown. Those are some of your must-own golfers. We talked about some of them in each range. It is only Monday, so we have three days till this event starts. I'll be doing a show later today with Awesome Live. You can check out the replay if you don't catch it live because this video won't be up in time to let you know. But then on Wednesday, I'll have my final thoughts show, my closing thoughts show over on Patreon. You can check all that stuff out that I have going on over there. This is where we're at on Monday. These are some bets that I have placed. Feel free to tag them if you want. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for tuning in. Check out my Patreon. Hit that like button. Big old subscribe button just popped up. If you're watching on the podcast or listening on the podcast, please do hit the subscribe button. Leave a review for a chance to win $50. My name's Sal Vetri. Best of luck this week, everybody. I'll see you later in the week and peace out, gang.